Welcome to Screw It, We're Just Gonna Talk About Comics, the podcast hosted by two brothers talking about comics they loved that you maybe did not read. I'm one of your hosts, Kevin Hines. And I'm your other host, Will Hines. And thanks for tuning in. This is season two of our podcast. Season one was titled Screw It, We're Just Gonna Talk About Spider-Man, but we've rebranded uh, to remove the specificity of that podcast so we can talk about other comic series. And this is season two where we are gonna talk about the Fantastic Four. Yeah, specifically the Jack Kirby run, which are the first, holy crap, 102 issues. Plus Jeez some Louise. And um, yeah, and so we're going to go, you know, and this is one of the, and so we, we can't do an episode per issue, so we're going to go in huge chunks. That's right. Uh, but let's tell uh, new listeners who we are. Uh, we are UCB performers and comedians. I'm Will Kevin, and I'm based in New York City. And I'm Will Hines, and I'm a cool Los Angeles guy. Right. Hollywood, baby. You can just hear his better haircut and cool sunglasses through the microphone. I just, I just might have to stop at any moment during this podcast to either take a phone call about a deal or maybe go buy a couple Teslas. That's right. And I'm on Wall Street right now, and I'm buying and selling stocks nonstop. <laughs> uh, I won't stop doing that for this podcast. I can't stop making money. That's hey, just, the market's that's open. Who I am, the market's know? open. You got to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we we grew up loving comics, and this is a big part of our friendship with each other, and so we like talking about them, and so that's what we're going to do. Yeah, uh, and so we. This is our second episode of this season. Last episode, we sort of talked about our game plan for this, which we've season. already massively changed. <laughs> we made a huge change. Uh, yesterday, we recorded, and well, we tried to record i stopped i forgot to hit the record button <laughs> so uh, we only recorded will's voice um i mean i think i think that's an improvement you know i think like that's the episode people want i just feel there are times you're responding to me that it's not going to make sense <laughs> uh, so we were re-recording but it went, it went really long on top of everything else so we've decided to split each uh, uh arc or each burst of issues we talk about into two episodes yeah we're gonna do so we, we've the 102 issue run that we're going to discuss. We've split them into chunks, whatever, yeah. you know, groups of issues. And for each group of issue, we're going to have one episode that just like recaps stories, a recap episode. So if you're reading along and you want, you know, kind of like a slightly more detailed, we still won't go into a lot of detail, but if you want us to, you know, going over the particular stories, you, you listen to the recap episode, but that will be followed by a commentary episode where we analyze it and we go over all the themes and importance of it. And we'll do extra stuff in there. We'll go, we'll talk in depth about some characters. Uh, we will kind of ask each other uh, questions, philosophical maybe, I don't know. <laughs> It could be deeply philosophical yeah. questions. We might, we might have some guests on, on those episodes. That's right. Um, we don't really know how long any of these things are going to be, but that, that's how we're going to do it. So we'll have a recap episode and then a commentary episode. We just didn't want to drop a two-hour episode of two guys talking about some comics they read when they were kids. So instead of a 10-episode series where each episode is like two hours, I guess this will be like a 20-episode series where each episode is more like an hour, we think. That's what we're... That's our hope. We'll, yeah. And um, so that that's the plan. And this first episode is going to be about issues one through eight. Uh, so some of the, the episodes will be more issues and some of them will be fewer issues, particularly when we get to the ones we really, really love. Yeah. And so just to remind you guys, um, this is... Uh, 
to about the Fantastic Four in general. These are comic books that came out, the 102 issues that this season is talking about, came out between 1961 and 1969. And... Um, they are some of the most important superhero comic books to ever be created because they basically are the template for Marvel comics. The weird thing is that because there's never been a good Fantastic Four movie, the movies are generally terrible to abysmal. They only get as good as terrible. Um, nobody really cares about the Fantastic Four and the general populace the way they care about like Iron Man or Spider-Man. But the Fantastic Four, they built – they built Marvel Comics, um, and these issues we're going over are hugely influential, and and uh, and we love them. So we're excited to talk about. Yeah, them. Fantastic Four flopped. Timely, maybe doesn't do any other superhero comics. Yeah, and um, you might not get Spider Man, and you and you certainly won't get like this. You know, Spider Man is a phenomenon, and also is hugely influential. But it, he's kind of an island unto himself. He's this Steve Ditko creation. Fantastic Four was the template that all of the other Marvel comics were based on: X Men, The Avengers, Iron Man, Thor, Hulk. Um, mostly because they were all done by the same guy, Jack Kirby. But then even the next generation of kids who came into Marvel, they copied Fantastic Four. Comic book template. Yeah. And then I think more in modern era, Spider Man's template started getting copied more and more. Like yeah. when you get to like the 80s. Yeah. But you don't have the Marvel House <clears throat> of Ideas without the Fantastic Four. You don't have so a like, Marvel Cinematic Universe. You don't have Infinity War. Uh, I mean, the Black the Panther, the Black Panther was created in the pages of the Fantastic Four in these first hundred issues. Yeah. We'll talk about him uh, in one of these episodes. And, you know, and among many other creations. I mean, that said, the, the issue is also hugely flawed. There's huge problems with these issues, which to me makes them more interesting and charming. We're going to get into that, too. I mean, so you do, you do 102 issues of superhero comics after not having ever done superhero comics. There's going to be some bad in there. Yeah. And, um, and even in the good yeah. ones, there's bad stuff. Yes. Uh, although that just to me makes it charming. I mean, like it is it is, uh, you know, just imagine movie producers where they got to make a new movie every month. Yeah. Um, they so have an unlimited budget. The way they, they marginalize gotta, the women every issue is charming <laughs> uh, and cute. <laughs> we're going to we're going to make that sales pitch. Yeah. <laughs> the marginalization of women is adorable. Yeah. Um, no, that's a huge flaw with these stories. But um uh, well, so today we're going to go over the first eight and our, just a here's a little bird's eye view, 102 issues. In Kevin's and my opinion, the first eight issues are good. Then they go through a period of being kind of bad. The series gets weirdly bad relative to its standards. Yeah, it's like goofy then it becomes, and a little silly. Yeah, then it becomes good and then becomes the best series ever for a little while. And then it goes back down to being good. And I don't know how we feel about the end. It kind of peters out at the yeah, end. Yeah. Uh, having, we just reread these all and it feels like after the peak issues that we think are amazing, it's still really good for a while. Then it gets real boring for a stretch, but yeah. then I think it ends pretty good. I it does like end the strong. Last he, they're they're maybe not Jack as Kirby. good, but they're like yeah. fun and easily readable. And yeah, I don't know. It I, ends, I swept through them pretty quick. I was like, oh, it ends strong. It ends strong. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting. So, but these first eight are sort of the initial burst of good issues that launch. They're not as good as the peak, the, the huge peak that it'll be later, but they're really good. And so that, those are the ones we're going to go over today. So Will, who are the Fantastic Four? Okay. The Fantastic Four are four superheroes. Oh, uh, 
That's right. There is Reed Richards, who is Mr. Fantastic, a stretchy rubber dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, his his um, girlfriend and then fiance and wife, Sue Storm, who becomes the invisible girl. Um, her kid brother, Johnny Storm, who is in high school and he becomes the human torch, can turn into flame and control flame and stuff. And then Reed's college roommate, fighter pilot, best friend, Ben Grimm, who becomes the thing, which is a creature made of stone. These are the fantastic four. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you like to point out how they are, they sort of powers sort of match the elements. Yeah. They very, very loosely are the elements like Reed is water thing is stone torch is fire and Sue is air. There's just kind of like a nice symmetry to when it was pointed out to me, I was like, Oh, I guess that's why they kind of look balanced together. They look sort of, they always look great. I think their powers are the stories are weird. Their powers are very different. They don't really replicate each other. It's not like, uh, it's not like Reed is strong and stretchy. He's just stretchy. Like nobody yeah. else is strong. Nobody else can like shoot energy other than uh, the human torch, torch shooting flames. Uh, yeah. Sue is very defensive, even though she can't use her powers in an offensive way. And nobody else really has that ability. Yeah. Uh, so it works I, don't well. know, I don't know how much of it's conscious or how much of it Jack Kirby, the artist and main storyteller uh, or and Stan. We don't we don't. We, it's a collaboration. Um I always think Kirby is the lead on these stories, though. I don't know how much of this is conscious and how much of it is just sort of like instinctual. Um, you know, it's the kind of thing where you're it's it's it'd be like if you're making heroes, you're like, you know, I'll make each one a primary color. This one's the red one. This is blue. This is yellow. That'll look good on the page. I wonder if he did that with the I don't know. I don't know. But they they are balanced and they look great. Yeah, there's so much that Kirby did well, and it's unclear whether he was just he knew it just from doing tons of comics, what worked and what didn't, or if he sat down and, and thought about it. I don't know if he had time yeah. to think about it in that depth. His pages... Not too much, I don't think. Uh, they're easy on the eye. You, you follow the action really easily, and a lot of people look at these comics and say, like, oh, this is how it needs to be done. And uh, I don't know how much of that he... It's not like he went to school to make comic books. How much of that he no. figured out... Or that he was aware that he figured out some of it. I'm sure he did. And some of it, I'm sure he just felt. Yeah, he just yeah. Like when I teach w- comedy classes, and there's sometimes there's people that are just funny and do all the moves that like we're trying to teach people to do, but they don't know they're doing them. It's just yeah, like the- they just have an instinct for like how to get those laughs, and they don't need to sit there and think about uh, the lessons and how to do that. They just can do it, and and that Kirby's got at least some of that. Oh yeah, ton of that. He, I think he's got it all. I, I mean, mean I think okay. you know. He, <laughs> I'd like him to create um, a couple more characters, and then I'll decide. <laughs> yeah, I know he didn't do enough characters in these. There's so many characters in these hundred issues; it's hilarious. Yeah. Um. Uh. So why don't we um? Should we just get into it here? Or yeah, uh, this is a segment which will be the only segment for this episode that we call the Watcher Watches. Yeah, the Watcher is a character that you're going to meet later in the Fantastic Four who's an omnipresent being who observes the human race, but he is sworn not to interfere, although he interferes almost every time we see him. That's right. But his vow is to not interfere. He just watches. And so... uh, But he interferes as little as he can. (laughs) He makes some huge moves, in my opinion. (laughs) But, um, But, um... Kevin and I are the watcher of the Fantastic Four universe. We are simply observing. We're not going to interfere or change what, we're, guess what we're seeing. You, the listener, are like our supervisors that we're sending our reports into. Yeah, you're like the watcher's bosses. Yeah. Um, 
Let's get into it. Fantastic Four, number one. Kevin, is this a good issue? <laughs> this is a really good issue. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's, there's a lot going on. It's, it's, it, the story is told in sort of out-of-order fashion, which feels very modern for a 1961 comic. And, mm-hmm. and again, I don't know how much of that was planned or how much of that was just them sort of trying to cobble together a story. Uh, because this went through a couple drafts at, l- at least, I mean, after it was drawn even like it was drawn and then changes were made. Yeah. Um, it, I, I love it, but it is what's striking to me about it is knowing that this is going to set off the Marvel universe. It is a weird hodgepodge of styles, tones, and ideas like it's, it feels like a monster book sometimes. It feels like a regular superhero book sometimes. It feels like a, a film noir mystery. Um, and yet and yet there it is exciting and propulsive and good, even though it is kind of jumbled. Yeah, these guys did not know they were going to make 101 more issues <laughs> after this. Yeah. Uh, and you like read certain like current comics, like I think often of a... Kurt Busiek's um, Thunderbolts number one. That guy went in with uh, definitely a twelve issue plan, but also like a twenty four issue uh, uh, outline. I think, and it's very apparent when you read that first issue. Like this thing's he's got an idea. He knows where this is going. He's got legs. I mean, obviously, he knew he was going to have to find that. And these guys were just like, let's get the issue done and make it good. Yeah. Um the cover of the Fantastic Four is iconic. I think it's like the second most, eh, maybe second or third most famous comic book cover ever. Most famous being Action Comics number one with Superman holding the car over his head. Maybe the Spider-Man Amazing Fantasy 15 is the second most famous. Yeah, uh, it's up there. Batman's up there. Probably the the new X-Men is probably up there. But yeah, yeah this but is this, probably this, number two, two or three. I mean, this is and for if you were ever like a comics collecting geek like we were and you looked at like price guides. Yeah, this was always the second most expensive book after Action Comics number one um, or top five. It would be like, you know, this is like one of like the oh, can you somebody's got a copy of Fantastic Four number one. Yeah, I think and, this um, cover is also homaged a lot by artists. I, yeah, I think it's probably number two. It's super iconic, and in, um, if you saw it and you're a superhero fan at all, you'll recognize it. It's got a huge green creature crumbling out of the ground, and our Fantastic Four people who don't have uniforms, who don't have costumes, are all sort of in various throes of battling him. Yes, yeah, Sue is clutched in his uh, giant fist, and she's starting to turn invisible. Uh, yeah. The Human Torch is sort of on fire, flying around its head, uh, threatening it. Uh, uh, Reed, the Mr. Fantastic, is on the ground. He's tied, been tied up in ropes, I guess, by the monster. Uh, and yeah. he has gone elastic to sort of get himself out of those ropes. And the thing is like crushing a car to get at the monster to kind of start fighting it. It's just general mayhem here. I mean, it looks like a it looks like a monster movie, but the heroes are also monsters. Yeah. Um, um, the names the names of the characters are on the front cover. And, of course, we don't know any of these people. Um we're just starting in the middle here of this of this crazy mythos. Yeah, and this comic kind of came about. Uh, I think we mentioned this last episode uh, because Martin Goodman, um, the publisher of uh, Marvel Comics, wanted Stan to make a comic book to compete with Justice League, which was like a big hit over at DC Comics. Yeah, and it's such a weird response. He's like, make a Justice League, you know, a team of heroes. But Stan, Stan at that time, they don't have any heroes. Yeah. So he makes up four new heroes and immediately puts them on a team. But they do it so differently than Justice League, which is so interesting. 
Yeah, uh, and this feels, again, compared to Justice League, which is a team-up of characters we already love, it's more like the Avengers movie that we're all big fans of. Uh, this feels more like it, the the movie Them or, or uh, The Blob that sort of turns into a superhero story by the end of it. Yeah. A couple of years later when he does The Avengers, that's the Justice League that Martin Goodman wanted. But this is kind of a cooler, more tripped-out situation. Yeah. Um, the the uh, the cover of a you you pointed this out in our in our lost episode Kevin <laughs> yeah but the um the cover is you can see it referenced in the Incredibles movie the Pixar movie at the end of it this this guy called the Underminer emerges from the ground um and that is an homage to this issue and the fan and the, and the Incredibles are very Fantastic Four. They're a family. They have powers. And their powers, squabble. other than uh, the Human Torch, Dash. which doesn't really exist. Uh, yeah, he becomes Dash, sort of a speedster. But they have an invisible girl. They have, they have a strong thing. man, and they have a stretchy person. Yep, and they just replace Thing with Speed. Maybe because it's a kids' movie, they don't want kids they, like being they, on fire. They replace the yeah the Human Torch with Speed. Yeah, although the baby can burst into flame. Sure, Jack Jack. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Uh, I just went to Disneyland for the first time a couple weeks ago, and I rode the Incredicoaster. You think anyway. that uh, place is going to catch on? Um, I don't see it lasting. You know, I thought it was a, a, a good little lark, but sure. I don't see it becoming an institution. Well, thanks for checking it out for people, because I doubt uh, anyone here has heard of it. Uh, Disneyland, yeah. and that's in California somewhere? You know, I don't remember. Okay. I don't recall. Great. Well. Um, okay, so, um, so... We're still on the cover. Yeah, let's... <laughs> I mean, we're, we're doing, the, yeah, we're not going to make this episode any shorter. So <laughs> it's going to be still um, two hours long, just so the, more in depth. We'll, we'll, we'll pick up speed. We'll pick up speed. Yeah. Um, this first issue we're going to dwell on a bit because it's just so important. It sets everything up. Uh, but so, the, uh, the first page is interesting to me because it, when it introduces the characters, it doesn't even introduce them in their superhero guises, even though in the first few pages, they already have their powers. Uh, it introduces like them as b-movie archetypes it's like reed richards the scientist is what he looks like and then there's a tough guy ben Grimm, and then there's the blonde susan storm and the kid johnny storm and they don't have powers or costumes or anything they're just sort of introduced as four people yeah and reed is firing the signal flare out and he looks like this he's this spindly looming old man and in like 20 issues, he's going to be this broad-shouldered Ted Kennedy-like hero-looking dude. But right now, he looks like he's like 60 or something like that. Yeah, he, he becomes real jacked. He's like just muscles bursting through his uniform soon. But here, he looks more like how I envision him in my head, sort of thin and creepy. Yeah. Um, he's assembling the team for reasons unknown. And then before we find out why he's assembled them, and it's very ominous and scary, we cut back to their origin yeah, we see them sort of all gathering, heading towards their headquarters. So, like, Sue turns visible, the thing uh, bursts through a wall, the human torch bursts into flames and flies into the air. Melts then, a car, right? Yeah, melts through the roof of a car. Um, and then uh, they get together and they remember their origin. <laughs> And the origin is that Reed Richards, who is a brilliant scientist, that's, that's right. his other sort of superpower, is that he's a genius. Probably uses that more than his stretching powers, frankly. Yeah, definitely. And and um, uh, has built a rocket ship to beat the commies. And the commies are a constant enemy in these early uh, FF issues. Um, but the government won't let him fly it because it hasn't gone through its tests yet. But he's worried the commies beating him. So at night he sneaks in and for a test flight, unauthorized. Yeah, he convinces Ben to go by calling him a coward. 
Right. That's the big motivator in early Marvel comics. You call somebody a coward, they're going to do whatever you want. Yeah. So Ben agrees If you to want go. someone to like if – you if you need help moving and they say they're busy, be, what are you, a coward? Everyone will help you move. That's right. Uh, so Ben goes and Sue, his girlfriend, wants to go. She's, you know, she's not going to let Reed go anywhere without her. Of course, you bring your girlfriend into space with you. And then, and, of course, she's uh, got to bring her, her high school brother. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have anyone to hang out with that night. So he's going too, yeah. I guess. You bring a 16 year old onto an unauthorized flight into space in a, in a time when nobody had been in space in America. <laughs> yeah. Um. And, uh, yeah, and so they do it, and they go into space, and they get bathed in cosmic rays, and the authorities were right. The ship was not tested properly. The shielding isn't right. They get bathed in radiation, and when they crash land, they get turned into supernatural freaks. Yeah, and the way these even transformations happen are sort of done in a spooky uh, fashion. Like, Sue is sort of freaked out when her body vanishes. Um, The thing kind of, like, just uh, like Wolfman style turns into the thing, this sort of grotesque orange blobish yeah. monster he doesn't he's not the, the clean bricked hero of modern marvel comics he's or, yeah. he, it's much more misshapen it's gruesome uh, this, yeah the thing eventually is going to be this kind of a friendly monster who smokes cigars and like pats you on the head but in this in these early issues he's a grotesque uh like um a creature yeah he's more job of the hot less wookie at yeah. this point. <laughs> and um and Johnny looks like he's about to explode before he turns into fl- it's very ominous and scary. This this issue's it's much more monster movie than superhero story. And even when the Johnny turn uh becomes the torch, he doesn't look like a man anymore. He just looks like like just a ball of fire. Uh he doesn't have a body or human like very in like two issues, Johnny will look just like a guy who's just like red with like kind of fire uh kind of coming out of him, but here he looks like he's become like a fire. So they all look kind of creepy and scary. Yeah. Um, uh, but right. And, and, and Ben is trapped in his form. The other three seem to be able to use or not use their form. Um, and that's kind of weird. There's, yeah, there's a weird, like lack of, uh, I don't know, consistency in these stories, it's like if you're going to design a superhero team, why have only one of them trapped and the other three are normal? Like this ends up being good and cool. Uh, they're sort of unevenly developed, you know, like Sue's powers at this point are way weaker than everybody else's, but you don't worry about it. I don't know. There's a there's a pleasant lack of thought that makes these issues feel very improvised. Um, sometimes it hurts them, but it mostly makes them electric to me. Yeah. I mean, Sue's powers are going to be a huge problem, uh, storytelling wise for the handful of issues that we talk about on the next couple episodes, but it also makes sense that they wouldn't all get equally useful powers. Yeah. Um, if DC's heroes, the, the powers of DC heroes always made a certain amount of sense to me, like they were useful powers and Jack Kirby heroes often just have insane abilities that are visually interesting, but like, do you, do we need this? <laughs> if I was doing the Fantastic Four and it didn't exist, I probably would have given Reed invisibility because he's already so smart and his brains are going to be such a big, important part of him. Yeah. Um, and that would have helped Sue be more offensive. Right. Um, but, but uh, you know, they're they're going on instinct, I think. Yeah. Um, and as you mentioned in the last episode, the powers sort of stem from their personalities. Per- 
Right. Sue's the frail woman, so she vanishes. Yeah. Uh, ben is the Ben is the big tough guy, and he's angry, so he becomes this. Johnny's the hothead teenager, so he bursts into flame. I don't know how to justify stretchiness, but there you go. <laughs> then he's the other one. <laughs> he's mentally agile, I guess. I yeah, don't know. He's adaptable. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they have these weird powers. Of course, they instantly agree to help mankind and be a superhero team with no yeah. discussion. Yeah, the moment they realize they have powers, they put their hands and uh, you know on top of each other and say, and and Ben even says, "You don't have to make a speech, Big Shot. We understand. We got to use that power to help mankind, right?" So they yeah. decide, let's be heroes. When you're when you're Jack Kirby and Stanley cram so many epic stories into however many pages these comics are, twenty two or whatever whatever it is, that you don't have time for nuance. You know what I mean? Like you have to like establish a bad guy, have him cause a huge world dominating threat, and then end it. There's no time for a lot of motivation. <laughs> and Kirby somehow also drops in like a handful of panels that are like, oh, there could be another story about this. Oh yeah. Which isn't necessary. Um, like, he didn't need to do that. He just can't help it. I think he just was creating so many ideas, he couldn't slow himself down. He was an idea machine, a character machine, a visual design machine. He obviously had a lot of – got a lot of joy out of doing it and to read a Fantastic Four story and um, is to just be inundated with ideas. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. So we cut back to present um, where Reed is explaining to his team – you know, his girlfriend, her brother, and some guy uh, about uh, somebody is pulling atomic plants down into the earth. Yeah, that's the normal way to get – that's the normal way for a villain to do his thing. Suck them into the earth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so these guys decide, well, we're the only ones who can deal with this. Let's go check it out. Um, and they find out, like, these monsters are kind of coming out from under the earth. And so they fight these monsters. And each monster had- is super cool. Every monster looks beautiful. This is like Monster Island. Um, there's every creature, which is just sort of an incidental one-panel um, existence. I'm ready to see more on them. You know what I mean? They each look great. Yeah, I was. Um, I mentioned but, this in the last episode on page 20 of this first issue. Like this sort of rocky monster with sort of these uh, spinal backbones, sort of crawls up behind Sue, and it looks so awesome. But the thing like dispatches it in two panels, and we never see it again. It looks like an awesome design. Yeah. Um, but then they find out the source of all these monsters, and we f- meet our main villain, um, the Mole Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, he's a squat. The- Big-nosed guy wearing uh, glasses to help himself see in the dark. Yeah. He's an outcast of society. Why? Because he's ugly. <laughs> yep. Uh, and he went under and he fell under the – he fell underneath the earth and then took over an empire there out of revenge. In a way, impressive. Yeah. I mean like uh, there's lots of people who have to deal with not being as attractive as they like. Very few of them go under the earth and take over an empire. Yeah. If I fell into the earth, I probably would just die. That'd probably be my move. I think I would um, set up a taco stand and just try to just try to make do. Yeah, but this guy decides to conquer it, become yeah. their king. And the the uh, what I what I mentioned really, before, he should the, be the hero of this book. He's the protagonist. Uh, the Fantastic Four are the bad guys who are spoil sports. Um, the Underminer in the Incredibles is definitely an homage to the Mole Man. Like they they look similar and. Um, 
Uh, it's kind of fun to know that. Um, yeah, so the Mole Man, and he's a great Kirby villain in that he looks insane. I mean, he looks like he's like 52 years old, um, <laughs> is not in shape, um, but he is full of bravado and uh, bile and ready to take over the world. Yeah, there's a, uh, there's a Valley of Diamonds that shows up for one panel. Which I'm ready to see a whole fantasy novel that takes place in the Valley of Diamonds. But uh, we don't see any more of that. We move on from that immediately. And then the story wraps up kind of fast, right? Yeah, they all kind of go underground. Johnny creates a sort of a cave-in to trap them all underground, and they fly away. Yeah, and the Mole Man's defeated. And, um, I mean, we'll see him again many times later, but for now he's done, and that's our first issue. Yeah. We cover so much ground. Yeah, um, it's great. We have an origin. We have their first battle. We even we even have like a mood setting, like uh, four or five pages where they kind of just gather. They, f- they found time to do that. Yeah. Um. Uh. Now, what is the name of the the blog, Kevin, that I referred to in the last episode? Um, it's the Tom Breverut Experience. So. Yeah, there's this. I guess he's a Marvel editor. For some for some reason, I thought he was from England and was a fan. I, I don't know I don't where know, I, I wasn't going to bring that up. I was going to let that you is get away. Wrong uh, with um, it. But but uh, he's a Marvel editor and he's done these extensive analyses of these early issues based. Because he's got access to the original art. I mean, he so is he the I think the, the current editor of Fantastic Four. Oh, great! And. Um, he goes into really extensive detail on the original art and trying to discern, you know, by looking at erased pencil lines and stuff and the notes in the margins, sort of a little bit of the behind the scenes, trying to figure it out. And they were doing a lot of fussing with stuff in these early issues. Like they, they were really minding the store on it. They, they, they were spending time and energy relative to the very fast production cycles of the time on this issue. You know, they, they weren't throwing it away. Yeah. Um there's lots of stuff that gets redrawn or moved around or, or extra dialogue is thrown in to sort of explain things. There's certainly things that they say that don't make sense. Like Sue talks about a vow she made that she has to answer this call, which is sort of overstating just them deciding to be heroes. Yeah. Um, but it definitely sets the mood. And I think it's some of that stuff just lays there and it's just part of it. And some of it, they massage out and fix it. Uh, it's very yeah. interesting. It's interesting what they decided to pay attention to. Um, so we're, we're off to the races. We have a hodgepodge of monster superheroes, not at all like the Justice League. And this comic book was a hit. This sold well. And even though it was nowhere near as good as it was going to become, and these characters, are they're not even behaving with the personalities that they're going to have very soon. People responded to this, I think because of the art and the mixture of genres. Um, I would say to people, just go back to Tom Breverut one second, check out the Tom Breverut experience. He talks about the first three issues, I think, of Fantastic Four in very good detail. He also talks about Amazing Spider-Man 8, uh, which has the um, Spider-Man versus Human Torch fight. Mm. Um that's interesting that Jack Kirby draws and he just sort of he basically is guessing at some of the decisions that were made because nobody knows. He doesn't get yeah. into who created it. And he sort of dismisses even that he could ever even attempt to answer that question. Yeah. Um, smart. Yep. And I think we do the same thing. It's just like they created it together and let's just move on. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he goes into it in really good detail. I don't know. It's They're really fun reads. So Tem- it's Tom great. Rebrew, if you're a comic book nerd, they're really great. Sorry. Say it again, Kevin. I interrupt. B-R-E-V-O-O-R-T is how his last name is spelled. So just search for Tom Brevroot. I'm mispronouncing that. I am confident. Anyway. <laughs> uh, issue were, two. Yeah, issue two. 
So this introduces the Skrulls who've just made their Marvel movie debut with Captain Marvel. Yeah, the Skrulls who debut here as the villains of this issue, you know, they're going to become a huge part of the Marvel Universe. The Skrulls are like the Klingons of the Marvel Universe. They're like a, an alien villain that show up in lots of titles. They're shape-shifting evil people that like to take over things. Yeah, near the uh, end of this run, we meet the Kree or we hear a talk of the Kree, which is the other half of Captain Marvel. So it yeah. all starts here in Fantastic Four. The two main Marvel alien races are the Kree and the Skrulls, I would say. It just, you know, Kirby, Kirby was creating a whole universe in this comic. Things he would just do that, that just for an issue would become a tentpole of these stories that, uh, that everybody else would tell. It's kind of fun. Like and you see the birth of just lots of stuff. Skrull is kind of a great name. Yeah, I love it. It's I, almost it skull. Great. Just the, throw that R in just enough to make it off putting. It's, it's fun to say. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds evil. Um, they look cool. You know, they're like, you know, bug eye green skinned aliens because they can shape shift into thing. I mean, they're truly like scary villains. You know, I love them. Yeah. Um, and Kirby, Kirby is. I you know when I I think of Kirby as a living exclamation point like he did nothing <laughs> halfway and the scrolls are just like their their eyes are so big you know and the and their skin so creepy it's just like there's uh, I don't know Kirby maxed stuff out he was really way. well paired with Stan Lee also a living exclamation point <laughs> who literally ended every sentence in an exclamation point and was constantly selling the book that you were currently reading to you about how good it was yeah. Um, they were they were a great team. They I mean, were sort of a loud pair. Yeah, um, they were a brash, fun, full of joy. I mean, these are some of the happiest stories I think because they're just filled with energy. Yeah, and at this point, they're just doing. They they have jobs and they're happy to have them, and they're kind of they're cool happy jobs. to have jobs. Yeah, and um, I, I don't know. I know they had different thoughts about each other over the years, but their work was great. Their collaboration was great. There's just there's there's no argument that. Um, okay, so the Skrulls are shapeshifters. They do a thing in this issue, which lots of villains do, which is they split up. They, they first pose as the FF and pretend to be doing evil deeds to frame them, which leads to the FF's capture. And then the Skrulls separate each of them into traps designed to contain them. For some reason, the Skrulls— well, The American government usually do that. The American government oh, okay. separates uh, the Fantastic Four and then the Fantastic Four each break out using their powers. Right. Because the government thinks they're villains because they think they're doing these things the Skrulls are doing. That's right. Um, so Johnny has a plan to capture the Skrulls, and his plan is to go sabotage a rocket. <laughs> he commits a terrorist act to draw out the villains, and it works. Yeah, he says, I got it. Our four imitators may get confused if one of us tries to sabotage that rocket site. They may think it's one of them and reveal themselves. I'll leave right away. And it works. Yep. He commits what would be the biggest act of terrorism to that date in the history of America, and it solves the problem. Yeah. He gets uh, caught by the Skrulls. He gets brought back to their base. He sends a signal flare out so that the rest of the Fantastic Four can show up uh, where they defeat the Skrulls. Uh, not without much uh, difficulty. The flare creates a, a numeral four in the sky, you know, kind of like a bat signal. Um that already looks like crazy technology to me. How do you make a flare in the shape of a numeral four? I, I don't know how to do it now. I'm okay, sure, well, get I'm on. sure it's possible now. Yeah. I don't um, think you could do it now. I think you could. Impossible. Um, 
you don't, so they, you don't they think, get uh, uh, the geniuses who brought us the iPhone can make a flare to signal the Fantastic Four well? Come on. I don't know. We'll see. Still has yet to be done. Um, um, so the, they get into a fight with the Skrulls and they win. End yeah. Of, end of um, podcast. They, they, uh, uh, one of them gets away, f- flies away like in a fake water tower spaceship or something. Um, right. There, I think Kirby just forgot there were four scrolls, and then by the end there's just three. And I honestly think he forgot how many there were. Yeah. Cause there's uh, no good the reason one, for this one to vanish. Um, then the other scrolls, they don't want to be killed. They don't want to be put in jail. They don't want to be, um, uh, brought in by the government, so they make a deal with Reed to be hypnotized into thinking they are cows. Yeah, so they get hypnotized. They turn into cows, and Reed hypnotizes them into believing they really are cows, and mm-hmm. they accept this. Yeah, and that's where those three are left off. Years later, there's a comic book called Skull Kill Crew, where I think some humans eat burgers made of Skrull cow and gain powers <laughs> and become Skrull hunters. <laughs> it's bonkers and look it up <laughs> yeah seems fun um it's uh, and it's the first of many times that hypnotism is used as a plot point and hypnotism in the marvel universe works like a charm hypnotism works better than i've ever seen it work in real life oh yeah um and and there's gonna be a lot more hypnotism so if you like hypnotism you're gonna love the fantastic four <laughs> kevin i think we should take a break here great so we're gonna take a break and we'll be right back Uh, this is Will and Kevin from Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. And hey, if you're enjoying this podcast, maybe try listening to our first season. Yeah, maybe. We started this podcast by doing a whole season, 50 episodes, all about Spider-Man comics. We even did it under a different name. Screw it. We're just going to talk about Spider-Man. Uh, and we did one episode for each issue of the original comic book run. That was done by Spidey's creators, Steve Ditko and Stan Lee. Plus, we spent time talking about the Spider-Man movies, the recent video game, one on Steve Ditko, one on Stan Lee, and lots of other fun stuff. And all those episodes are still up. They should be part of the same feed you use to get this podcast. So, if you're a fan of Spider-Man, check those out. Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics. But in this case, we're just talking about the first season where we talk about Spider-Man. All from Campfire Media. And uh, we are back. Um, Kevin, should we do issue three? Yeah, let's keep moving. So uh, this one, okay, we, we should try to be quick on this one, I think, because the next one, the next two are maybe more important. Yeah. Uh, this one is also important, though. It introduces sort of the superhero trappings of the Fantastic Four. They get their costumes. Yeah. They get their headquarters. Right. They get the Fantastic Car, which at this point just kind of looks like a bathtub, but it breaks up into four separate cars, which is fun. Yeah. The Fantastic Four, because of Reed Richards' scientific genius, are always inventing crazy gadgets because I think Kirby loved to draw gadgets. So there's always tons of really fun-looking machines in Fantastic Four stories. And this is one of them, the Fantasticar. And it's also the first issue that has on the cover the uh, slogan, the greatest comic magazine in the world. Uh, The world's greatest comics magazine. Well, in this one, it's the greatest comic magazine in the world. Oh, is that what it says? Uh, This issue, yes. Oh, wow. I have um, I just love how braggy Stan Lee is, you know? The next issue, they'll, they switch the order of it, but the claim is that it's the greatest comic in the world, uh, and this is a world that already has Superman and Batman and Justice League. It's a huge claim and not at all true at this point, and I love that he does it. Um, I think it does become true, but it is not true at this point. Yeah. It's it's a 
It's a king of all media, Howard Stern-like move. You just sort of proclaim yeah. something loud enough <laughs> and eventually sort of becomes true, at least for a yeah. while. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they become a little more standard superheroes. They get costumes. Um, they have a headquarters, the Baxter Building. It's confirmed they're in New York City, even though issue one said Central City. No, no, we've changed it now. They're in New York. We get the um, first of many schematics of their headquarters that show like where all the the secret rooms are and what each room is used for, where their ships are stored. Yeah, I love I love schematics of headquarters that show you the plans. It like really appeals to my spectrumy brain. <laughs> uh, um, there's weird things with their costume where like Ben is given a helmet that he takes off immediately and never wears again. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, he tears off his uniform partway through this, and he basically will never wear the uniform really. He just wears like shorts or sometimes pants. Um, but they make a big deal about this helmet they put on him. I think it was just at some point they changed their mind because he looks cool enough without it. Yeah. Uh, it's, again, this sort of inconsistency of the FF. It's like they wear uniforms. Well, except for one of them. <laughs> and in the Tom Brevroot uh, blog, he talks about how that at one point it looks like they had masks on that kind of got erased. Yeah, they had like Robin style masks. Um there's a close-up of Sue Storm. Her face fills the whole frame, which looks like for no reason, except in the original drawing, she had a mask on, and it would make sense because it would be sort of displaying the mask. But yeah, that's page seven of this issue. But so they erase that. All those I'm things glad are, they don't have masks. Like a big part of the story is that they are beloved because everybody knows who they are. Yeah, they're they're heroes. They're sort of celebrities. They're the Kennedys. They're the royal family of the Marvel universe. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, like all that stuff's really cool. The villain of this issue is kind of dumb. Yeah. He's the miracle man and he's able to do anything. Uh, he makes a monster come to life. He withstands a punch from the thing, which by the way, like the thing to test his powers immediately punches him in the face. That could kill a guy. Yeah. If the, if that test had, his test could be like, oh, I guess that guy's weak is what my test revealed. I, his face crushed in on itself and he died immediately. Um, yeah, and he's like the Miracle Man's on TV demonstrating all these feats. The FF is scared of his powers. He gives a message: "I declare war on the whole human race." I love how the bravado of all FF villains. But then they find out that he has no powers, and he's just using hypnotism to make people think he has powers. Reed figures it out for no reason, and then they defeat him. Yeah, I mean, there's a silly sequence where they chase after him on a hot rod, um, but at the end, it's all hypnotism. They fix it, and then the torch. Uh, gets mad at the team for sort of treating him like a kid and flies off. Yeah, the, a big part of the FF is that they squabble together. Like if if Spider-Man's emotional depth is his like personal problems with his Aunt May and his high school life, the FFs is that they all irritate each other. Um, I think this is best replicated in Guardians of the Galaxy where they're always sort of s snipping at each other and sort of arguing. Like I, I look for where the FF is represented in spirit in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Guardians has some FF to them. I mean definitely the idea of a team that don't that doesn't like each other is very strange uh, at, at this time. Like the Justice yeah. League and their predecessors the Justice Society were all business. Uh, yeah, they were all professional good cops. The FF is a squabbling family. Yeah, so Johnny kind of storms off really for almost no reason. Yeah, but it's um, weird to end an issue on a cliffhanger at this at this age. Yeah, but the Marvel style is going to be to bring emotional stuff in early and often. So it's starting to happen here in the FF. Uh, issue four is the first great issue, I think, of FF. So it's a huge step up. 
Yeah. And it brings a, back an old Marvel character, the Submariner. Right. It's definitely the best issue since the first one, probably even better than that. It brings back the Submariner, who was an old timely character who used to like be in World War II comics fighting the Nazis. Yeah. And um, they want to integrate him into the universe. So the Human Torch, as he's storming off, is reading an old comic book starring the Submariner. And he stumbles onto the Bowery, which at this time in New York City's history is where a lot of homeless missions were. And he sort of just discovers by chance a homeless man who is super strong. Yeah. And um, – He's intrigued, and the, the Torch goes into a bar. They're all saying uh, this, they're making fun of this drunk guy, but they're also saying how he's strong. Torch is intrigued and sort of turns his finger into a flame and gives the guy a shave, and it's revealed to be the Submariner. Yeah, he's got amnesia and he doesn't remember who he is, so he's just sort of been living homeless in New York for some time. Uh, the torch brings him to the water, right? Doesn't this bring his memory back? Yeah, he puts him in the water to sort of bring his powers back, and, and, and it snaps him back into reality, and the Submariner remembers who he is and declares war on the human race. <laughs> <laughs> We've had four issues. Every single villain has declared war on the human race. <laughs> uh, there's also a really fun sequence while this is all going on with Fantastic Three are searching for Johnny. Uh, and they're sort of just grabbing people randomly on the street and asking if they've seen the Human Torch. Reed stretches and grabs a guy off of a moving motorcycle and picks him up and pulls him over to himself and goes like, hey, have you seen the Human Torch? And the guy's like, no, you're terrifying me. And like, okay. I mean, they definitely just like flex in their powers for the yeah. sake of the comic, I think. So Story took a backseat to just like, we need Reed to stretch here. Um. So the Submariner, I, I love the Submariner. You know, he's like one of these like prideful bad guys. You know, he's from Atlantis. Do they mm -hmm. say Atlantis? He's from an undersea kingdom. He's from Atlantis, yes. Okay, and um, and you know, he's kind of he uh, hates he, humans. He goes back to Atlantis in the story, I believe. Yeah, and, and finds that it's, it's been ruined it's been by bombs and stuff. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, been yeah. abandoned. That's why he declares war on the human race. He's got at least some reason. He's he's a semi-rational hero. He's also hugely powerful and hugely arrogant, and I love him. Submariner being in a FF story usually means it's good, although the worst one ever is coming up in our next episode, or in two yeah. episodes. But anyway, um, yeah, uh, and so he declares war on the whole human race, and the FF have to stop him. Yeah, and his main goal to do this is to summon an ancient walking whale creature named Giganto to come sort of like— Knock down New York City. And Giganto is like yeah. Godzilla size. He's like bigger than buildings. Looks awesome. Uh, I think Giganto is not a scientific name. And hmm. uh, yeah, okay. he. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm not an expert, but that's just that's just my instinct. Okay. And um, he lumbers into the city. And uh, I love the way they beat him. Kevin, why don't you describe it? Yeah. So the, to beat him, they strap a, a nuclear bomb to the back of the thing <laughs> and the thing gets swallowed by Giganto and like leaves the bomb in his belly and then like fights his way back out before the bomb explodes. I mean, talk about your epic stories. Like here we are four issues into this series and we have the King of Atlantis who's uh, an amnesia as a homeless man, declares war on the human race, summons a monster. A nuclear bomb is used to defeat it by a rock creature you know, good guy Gollum. Um, it's pretty rad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he also has time to fall in love with Sue Storm. Yeah. He, he instantly falls in love with Sue Storm and makes his intentions clear. And she's entertaining the option. She's thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, this guy is ripped. 
And he's confident. Yeah, he's walking around in, yeah. He's in his underwear at all times, and he's completely in shape. Yeah. I mean, uh, even if I was completely in shape, and I've never been, I don't think I'd be yeah. confident enough to walk around the streets just in my underwear. Yeah, and um, and he has no problem. Just like, uh, yeah, if you're underwater and you're wearing just a bathing suit, I think you look fine. But if you're like walking down Madison Avenue, you should at least be self-conscious about it. Not subby. He's ready. Yeah, he's like, what are you, what are you looking at me for? Why aren't you guys right. naked, you fools? Yes, bow, bow before me, humans. Uh, Sue, I love the love triangle of Reed Richards, Submariner, and Sue. Um, I guess the, I think because Sue's character is so uh, underdeveloped. Um, I kind of, I'm like, well, at least somebody's paying attention to her. You yeah. Know? Any and, um, story point that has anything for her to do other than like moon over Reed is a, as is a, it, even if it's, it's mooning over somebody else feels like yeah. an upgrade. It never passes the Bechdel test, but at least she's involved. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So that's, and then they, they do defeat him or they, they defeat Giganto and that convinces him to give up. Yeah. He, right? he, he goes away and he's like, you you haven't seen the last of me. It's true. Uh, but um, he, great, yeah, he's a, issue, he's a though, nuanced right? villain. He's not all evil. He's got actually yeah. good reason to hate the human race. He loves Sue. As Sue knows there's good in him, and she's right about that. He's he's very much um, almost an anti-hero, sort of a, a part hero, part just realist. He's not a he's not a malicious person, and he's got a rationality to him. So, and he he will often fight on the side of good. And he was a good guy in his original incarnation. So, I don't know. I think he's really interesting. He's a, he's a great character that's been introduced. I, I mentioned this on the last episode, but uh, when I first moved to New York City, I went to Bowery. It's a street. Thinking about this issue where when the torch goes to Bowery, it's like filled with homeless people. When I went there, that time had passed and it had become gentrified. It was just full of sort of hipster bars and and kind of nice apartments. But there was one hotel that was a basically a homeless shelter uh, and homeless people outside of it. And I was like, ah, you are you are a link to the past, my friend. Did and, you see uh, any uh, Atlantean kings? I, I saw a couple guys that seem like they could be, but since I wasn't able to burst a finger into flame and shave them, I couldn't do anything about it. We should talk about that sequence just a moment more. We talked about it in the last episode, how it's sort of the, the shaving sequence. While that may sound silly the way we're describing it, like that, it great. That, that's a memory that I have of this comic that, that I will never get rid of. Like that image of Johnny moving his finger past his face to shave off the beard to reveal yeah. his name or. It's funny about comics you read as a kid because I, I remember it too. Um, it's just a story point. He shaves off his beard and realizes it's a submariner. But the shaving of it, the using the finger to shave, for some reason like really stayed with me. Um, even when I shave, sometimes in real life I'll think about the sequence kind of. It's interesting how – I don't know. I guess if something's drawn well or whatever, it like stays in your mind or something or I, I don't know. It's like Rocky drinking a pitcher of raw eggs in Rocky 1. Like there are certain details that aren't really crucial to the story but they stand out for some reason and you remember it long after you see it and yeah. that's one of them and that's page 10 of uh, issue four now let's go on to issue five which is the introduction of the the seminal most iconic ff villain of all time yeah no question he's the arch nemesis of the fantastic four his name is dr doom <laughs> who's a fascinating villain because i think he shouldn't work at all he eventually does work really well i'm not even sure he works here he's basically like there's so many. Bad I argue things he does not work well here. He is a little too Flash Gordon. Uh, who's his villain? 
Um, Ming, the, Ming the Merciless. He feels a little bit like that to me, just sort of like evil for evil's sake. Yeah, he just, again, declaring war on the whole human race. Well, his name is Dr. Doom. It's like it's an insane name. And his real name is Victor Von Doom, which is also insane. Uh, he does look cool. I mean, Kirby pretty much always makes people look at least interesting yeah. and usually very fun. And I do think Dr. Doom, I mean, he looks crazy. He's got this iron mask and a green robe, but like, it's fun. That's a good villain. Look. Yeah, the mask is really, really awesome looking. And it works with the uh, the villain colors of green cloaking around it, this cloak and this hood. Um, yeah. I think Kirby has said he was sort of designing sort of a modern death, Grim Reaper. Okay. So it's like the skull face just being replaced by machine face. Yeah, it looks good. All the rivets and the mask are kind of gruesome. Um, yeah, it, it looks great. But like, it's a, he's just a villain for villain's sake. He's a blowhard. He makes big speeches. He later will be fleshed out into a really good character. But here he's just an insane person. Um, yeah. His, although, I, you know what? I love this issue. This issue is really fun. I, I don't love this issue. I mean, it's silly <laughs> and memorable, but I don't really like it much. His plan in this issue is to capture Sue, which happens a lot, and then to use her to convince the FF to travel back in time to steal Blackbeard's treasure, which he needs for some sort of spell he's working on. Yeah, Doom is both science and magic, which I do love. He's a science expert and a magician. So he he knows these, these jewels have um, magic properties. So he sends the FF back. I love that time travel is incidental in this story. Like he has a time machine and that doesn't become the main part of the story. Yeah. Time travel is uh, it's sort of just like, oh, by the way, I have a time machine. Moving on. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the FF, the F, the Fantastic Three, or is it all four of them? No, no Sue's Sue held hostage. Go. She's held hostage. She doesn't do a lot. Huge mistake. And um, the three of them go back in time. Uh, they're on a pirate ship and they have to get this treasure. And there's a great twist that happens yeah so they disguise themselves as pirates which involves putting like a fake beard on the thing uh, <laughs> and then the, thing, the world's worst disguise right like he's a clearly a rock monster wearing a fake he's beard. a large orange rock monster wearing a beard uh but he's so strong and powerful he becomes the leader of the pirates very quickly they love him and I love that they love him it's so funny and they uh sort of name him blackbeard he is blackbeard the blackbeard we've heard about the real pirate Blackbeard was actually a time-traveling superhero named The Thing. Um, which is – that's very like Twilight Zone or like sci-fi short story anthology twist. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's fun. I think it's fun. Like I dug it when I read it. I mean it's crazy. But I – again, I, there's a recklessness to these stories that I love. It's like we're just going to go back in time and he's Blackbeard and like there's there's no thought about the implications for the future. You know, yeah. we're going to introduce a time travel device and not worry about what that says about the rest of our, uh, of our stitched, con stitched together continuity. I don't think it's, it's fun. Yeah, it's, it is fun. Uh, the, the story just feels a little too stupid with the FF pretending to be pirates for the whole, most of the issue. Um, so they find the treasure. They refuse to bring it back. They bring back a chest full of rocks. Uh, chains. Yeah. They chains out. So they fulfill their promise a little bit. Yeah, they, they bring back. The I mean, chest. I went back and reread it. They promised Doom that they will bring back Blackbeard's treasure, not his treasure chest. But later on, Reed claims they only promised to bring back the chest. So uh, his flawed memory helps him sleep at night, I guess. 
Yeah. <laughs> so they betray Dr. Doom, which I think is totally morally, they're morally in the right there. Sure. They also and, didn't uh, have to agree to go back in time. They could have just fought him immediately. Yeah. And then they uh, defeat Doom and that's the end of the issue. Yeah. Doom escapes at the very end. Uh, Johnny can't quite follow him. Johnny, at this point, his flames, uh, we'll talk more about this next uh, episode, but they don't last very long. He's, he can only stay uh, lit up for a short period. So he can't chase after Doom for very long. Yep. Um, so in, um, so that, that's issue five. Yeah. And then issue six is another, this is another great issue and Namor and Doom team up. We just got these characters in the mix. Let's throw them together. Yeah. So it sort of creates that these three issues are sort of a mini arc where we meet Doom, we meet Namor, he escapes, we meet Doom, he escapes, and then Doom and Namor team up to fight uh, the Fantastic Four. Another epic story like these these stories are so big and huge like Kirby just would and, and Stan would just like create these huge events um, just so casually. It's fun. And this one, Doom teams up with Namor and part of the plan involves Doom taking the entire Baxter building skyscraper and sucking it up into space. This issue also really cements their celebrity status. This is the issue where Reed gets a letter from a boy in a hospital and then goes and oh, visits right. him by stretching like from his building to the hospital. Uh, but it's like they answer their fan mail. They are celebrities and are dutiful celebrities sort of taking time to respond to their fans, which is a yeah, cool good. aspect to the Fantastic Four. Yes, as opposed to Spider-Man, who's always quasi-feared and hated. The FF are beloved. Yeah. Uh, also, by this point, Amazing Fantasy 15 has come out. That came out uh, in July 62, which was when the Doom issue came out. So Spider-Man exists, but his regular comic won't start for like another year. Um, yeah, so the, the giant of Spider-Man has yet to really explode in the Marvel Universe. But the FF are taking hold strong. Yeah. Um, so, so, so Doom... Yeah, Doom finds Namor and convinces him to work with him to fight the Fantastic Four, which I think Namor's okay with. He doesn't want to hurt Sue, but otherwise he hates the FF, so he's on board. And he uh, sucks the skyscraper into space. There's an awesome panel of the of from the building's perspective being high above Manhattan, floating into the air. It's really fun. I mean, the technology is questionable, and I don't know what happens to all the people who live in the building, but it's a great drawing. I know we're going along, but can I read Doom's speech to Namor? Yeah. Where he convinces him to team up. Yes, of course. Imagine. Do, do. Or what? Go ahead. Uh, imagine your great and proud people struggling for thousands of years, defeating all the terrors of the deep to build a civilization superb and beautiful. Yes, beautiful and glowing with life until that last terrifying moment. When that monster of a bomb lodged in the midst of that beauty, gone. All that glorious history gone in one brief instant, replaced by an ugly crater in the ocean floor, littered with fused masonry and bitter memories that cry out, Revenge! Revenge! Revenge upon the surface worlds which did this in the ignorance. Revenge upon humanity's defenders. Death to the Fantastic Four! <laughs> I mean, it's really fun. <laughs> uh, and, and Namor's like holding his face clutched in tears, and he goes, I cannot harm the girl, but I'll aid you in defeating the other. Others. Love it. It's a big switch to go, let's kill the Fantastic Four. I don't know if they're yeah. responsible, but love it. Yeah, it's a, it's a big leap. But uh, you're right. That is an awesome speech. One of the best things about Dr. Jumer is big villainous speeches. He's, he does them so often. Um, but then, yeah, as so you're saying, when we get to this sort of the, the battle, the, the, the building has been, Doom's plan is to shoot the building up into the air. Yeah. 
like so the uh, Fantastic Four's headquarters, the Baxter Building, is launched into space, and <laughs> the image of it flying above Manhattan and above like fighter jets looks awesome. Yeah, and then Doom's gonna be up there with a spaceship, and I guess just kill them or something. Yeah, I, it's un- I guess they would. They'll they don't have air, so they'll die without air. I don't know, but um, uh, and he betrays Namor. He leaves Namor with them. Yes. to die in space. That's that's Doom's big flaw. Yep, he betrays everyone. And so, Namor is actually the one who Namor is the one who saves the day here. Yeah, so Namor like leaps from the Baxter building to Doom's ship and like rips into it and takes Doom and tosses him out of the ship so that <laughs> Namor can get in the ship and sort of set the Baxter building back down on Earth. I mean, they are deep into space. They're they're way up there. And um, the last shot of Doom, like, floating away on an asteroid is so humiliating to him. Like, Doom gets defeated so hard the first couple times they meet him. It's hilarious. This like, issue, yeah. This defeat of Doom, he looks so pathetic. He's, he's hanging into, like, a little like rock the guy. as he flies, <laughs> getting smaller and smaller panel by panel as he flies away. I mean, the, the, the FF are really horrific to their to their enemies. They trap the Skrulls in a cow brain. They send this dude into deepest space. Like, they're they're pretty intense. Yeah. I mean, these guys deserve it. I guess so, but geez, Louise, do process anybody? I mean, don't mess um, with the Fantastic Four. They I hate commies not. and they hate villains, <laughs> and they hate cowards. That's right, <laughs> cowards um, do. Um, so that's our and Namor still loves Sue. She doesn't know what she's going to do, and uh, that's the end of the issue, right? Yeah, we got, we're going to cover the next two. Those first six uh, we had in a digest. We've read those thousands of times. Yes, yes. Those are very beloved to us. That, that to me for a long time was the only Jack Kirby Fantastic Four I knew. Then when we got older, we read some of the, we read the others. And so, yeah, we love those issues. Issue yeah. seven is a dud. Yeah, it's a real dud of an issue. It involves a, a guy named Kurgo, Master of Planet X. And he sort of recruits yeah. the FF to help him save his race by shrinking them. Uh, so, so they, they don't can, use like, as many natural ship, resources. I think. I think so they can all fit on a ship and get somewhere else. Yeah, it's very um, complicated. And then the plan was that Kurgo was going to keep all the enlarging gas for himself so that he would be the only one large and then he could uh, rule his race. But there is no enlarging gas because Reed was like, it doesn't matter. It's all relative. So I'm not going to waste time inventing that. Uh, and Kurgo is also abandoned like because he's so worried about this enlarging gas, he gets left behind and dies on his planet. Yeah, he remains normal size, but alone on his home planet, which is going to explode. And the shrunken race of people successfully get away in a ship to make a happy life elsewhere. Yeah, so it's uh, sort of lame. <laughs> um, just, even with the FF, it's crazy. Like a, a spontaneous decision to shrink an entire race and not tell them that you can't enlarge them is a decision that should be thought about more. <laughs> but yeah. Reed just jumps into it. Yeah. Um, I also just yeah, love that care. he could, that Reed can invent a shrink gas, but he can't invent an enlarging gas. Like that was sort of out <laughs> of his realm. Yeah, I mean, we see Reed make so many gadgets and technology. I do not believe that an enlarge, enlarging gas is beyond his. I mean, he makes a television that can just view anywhere in the universe. I think like he he he's always got TV that can see anything we need to see to learn what's going on in the story. And that level of spy technology is already hugely impressive. He invents multiple ways to breathe underwater, but he's too lazy to invent a enlarging gas. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's for the poetic ending, I guess of this story. Yeah. It's compared to the others. It's a little bit of a dud. I say we move on to issue eight, which yeah. is more fun. And this is the last issue we're going to talk about in this episode, but it introduces a couple, uh, a new, another 
kind of major FF villain, but also uh, a major FF supporting cast member. Uh, yeah, Alicia. Alicia Masters, who becomes the Thing's girlfriend. Yeah, she is a blind sculptress. Despite being blind, she's able to sculpt amazing works of art, which I think this is a fun character. And she falls in love with Ben Grimm, the Thing. Yeah. Um, despite his monstrous appearance, she loves the man within. Uh, and he loves her. And this is a great relationship in the FF um in the FF story. And I think we'll talk about it in depth next issue, but she really softens him from sort of this angry character, sort of this more comical, sweet uh, hero that he is for most of this 102-issue run. Yeah, he's he's morphing from the always angry, tortured monster into a sort of, uh, you know, like tough guy, fun uncle, good cop, uh, blue-collar, salt-of-the-earth Good guy. Um, and it's happening. Yeah, you're right. Alicia brings a lot of that change on. Yeah. Um, but so this issue involves the puppet master who is Alicia's stepfather. Yeah. Who has, uh, has got himself a supply of radioactive clay, <laughs> which he can mold into the shape of people. And if it's an yeah. accurate shape, he can control them. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah, he can make a voodoo doll that works, basically. Yeah. He makes a doll that looks like you, and and then he controls you. So I guess he's a good sculptor also, just like Alicia. Yeah, it runs in the family. He sculpts a, a sculpture of the thing about halfway through the issue and takes control of the thing. But yeah. uh, Reed has been working on cures for the thing, and when he turns the thing back into Ben Grimm, it frees uh, him from the uh, whatever powers the, because he doesn't look yeah. like the model anymore. Yeah. That's kind of a fun twist. I think this issue is pretty good. I, I think this issue is fun. I mean, I love this issue. Um, yeah. There's a, I love Alicia. Alicia's a great character. There's a stupid plot point where Alicia puts a wig on to look like Sue, uh, and she does because it's drawn. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I, I yeah, don't know Kirby's... two unrelated women wearing the same color wig would look the same. I just uh, very rarely, I guess. But in the comic book world, it happens. Yeah. And, um, yeah, this is a this is a pretty good issue, and this sort of ends our uh, the run the initial run of the FF, and um, they're already starting to settle into their personalities. There's also uh, he, I should also mention did I mention that Ben turns back into thing because Alicia? Oh no, yeah, do that. So Ben turns back into Ben. Uh, the thing turns back into Ben Grimm. He has this cure, and it sort of works. But when Alicia touches his face, she doesn't recognize him. She's like, "Where's the man that I that I thought was so great? You're not him. You're someone different." And the thing sort of is embarrassed and turns back and he his he, he transforms back into the thing. He and almost it, wills it to happen. Yeah, he, because he sort of wants her to still be happy. Yeah, it's really sweet. I, I, I love that turn in the in. I love that development in this story. Yeah, it's an interesting reason why he can't change. Like he doesn't feel like he, he like he doesn't think his life would be as good if he's been. He's do, he doesn't. Uh, uh, bring as much to the world as Ben. He he loses Alicia if he's Ben. So he just, he's better off being this monster that he sort of hates being, but I think feels he deserves. Yeah. He, um, I mean, the thing becomes the, the best character in the fantastic four, the most developed, the most fun. Uh, and he, and he's on his way to becoming that. Um, there's also, he's, sort of, he, he's oh, a kind of an avatar for Jack Kirby. Like he sort of is, uh, he becomes sort of a representation of our artist a little bit. There's also a very weird, uh, is this the one that ends with, um, uh, the, no, this one does not. Um, that's next issue. I thought this one okay. ended with the human torch Q and a, um, 
Oh yeah, this one does. This one ends with the Human Torch Q and A, where he explains his powers for two pages. That's kind of fun. Yeah, I like when I like when the Marvel universe gets like pseudo scientific, as if there's like laws of physics, you know, dictating the boundaries of their abilities. Yeah, they sort of explain how he can fly, and like what his limits are and what they are. I mean, th- these limits are changed rapidly throughout these first uh, uh, couple of years. So I don't know how long this stays true, but it's fun that they try to explain that stuff. I mean, I think this is a Stan Lee thing and Stan is pretty good about like trying to be consistent about the rules and the limitations of these guys. And I like that about the Marvel universe. Yeah. I think they're getting questions from readers and Stan likes to answer them in the issue if he can. Stan's so attentive to the readers. He's such a salesman and an ambassador and, um, you know, he's over credited as a writer of these stories, but I still think he's underrated in how instrumental he was at inspiring the fans to identify with Marvel as a brand. Uh, I know we're going along. I think in, the, in this episode, we should talk about what our favorite issue is just to name it. Uh, okay. Our favorite issue. Oh, easy for me. The Namor issue is my favorite. Uh, and I think for me, it's the Namor uh, doom team up. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, both of them are Namor issues. Those are definitely the two high points of these eight issues, though the origin is uh, right up there. Yeah, the origin is really compelling. Um, although we'll talk more about that in the commentary. I have, I have issues with the origin. Sure. Um, yeah, we'll get we'll get deep into the characterization of these characters next time, uh, yeah. as well as a number of other things. So please come back next week and hear us talk more about these same eight issues. <laughs> Yeah, I know it's insane, but we're going to do it. And um, you can contact us. Um, our email is still screw it spidey just because we don't want to check a million email accounts. So screw it spidey at Gmail um, to ask about any, tell us any of your comics thoughts and especially your Fantastic Four thoughts. That's right. We have an Instagram, screw it comics, where Kevin will be posting a lot of the uh, 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 kind of fun panels from these issues. Yeah, I'll sort we'll of. We also have Screw It Recent, which is unrelated to our podcast, really, but it's what Kevin's reading. Kevin has great taste in comics, and I, if you're, I, I would follow that also. Yeah, it's panels with like little commentary from me just about whatever I've read recently uh, that I want to talk about uh, into the uh, air. <laughs> um, yeah, and our Twitter handle is Screw It Spidey. Also, um, so you can find us there. Yeah, and um, our Instagrams are all. Um, or our Instagram, our Screw It Comics stuff is all reposted on Twitter. So if you're on one or the other, you should be able to see all that stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah, email us with your thoughts uh, or questions. Uh, we'll also answer emails in our every other episode. So if you do email us, we'll try to get to that next week. Uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Kevin, great episode. Uh, Will, really good episode. I would say a fantastic episode. <laughs> the world's greatest podcast episode. <laughs> all right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Screw it, screw it, we're just gonna talk about comics. Campfire.